All right. Happy uh, Tuesday, everyone. It's a usual Tuesday, but I am all off of my schedule because I've been off. It was the holiday weekend, all sorts of stuff. So, uh, but I am more energetic than usual, which that's, that's a pretty high bar. But uh, anyway, so today we are talking about one of my favorite topics, although I have a lot of favorites, but we're talking about digital adoption and digital transformation. This is going to be a fun one, uh, but I am joined by Luke Shoot, it's Talbot, but I know I, that's not the way your family pronounces it. As soon as I said it, I'm like, man, I made a note. Which one, How is it that your family pronounces your last name again? You know, that's a really funny thing. So I, like literally before this, Talbot, was Talbot, Talbot, it Talbot? Talbot. It's, Talbot. it's all cool though, because See? most people say Talbot, right? So it's fine. I know. Well, it's because it's the A, but it's all. All right. Talbot. <laughs> See? All right. Well, here I thought I had it because I remembered to ask and then I totally, totally flubbed it. But anyway, so he's from user lane and we're going to get we're going to get into this one and not just talk about necessarily what digital adoption is, which we will, because I still feel like this is a conversation that is not happening among L&D circles enough. But we're going to get into kind of this whole, what do we do about it? How do we actually take action on it? And what really are we doing to measure this? Because again, there's a lot of finger pointing is, well, is system adoption or digital transformation? Is that HR? Is it L&D? Or is it IT? And the answer is yes. <laughs> it's just yes. All of the above. So I'm excited. I'm excited to have this conversation. But while we're getting started here, uh, for those of you who are joining live, let me know where you're joining from. But Luke, where are you located right now? So on a, on a map right now, I'm, uh, I'm located in Winchester in England. So yeah, not okay. Winchester in the US. So there's probably different ones. Right? Are you still in the um, heat wave thing? Is that still, is that still knocking you guys out? Absolutely not. No, it's not. Uh, we're, we're okay. back to good old fashioned English weather, which is, um, <laughs> you know, <laughs> famous, world famous. It's, uh, it's something we can't export, unfortunately. Okay. All right. Now, but did you, did you, were you experiencing that whole thing? Cause I, I remember I talked to a bunch of people over there and they were like, this is bad. Like we aren't built, we aren't designed for this. It was, it was brutal there for a window. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It was it was hot. I actually um, I'm I'm pretty lucky though because I I managed to uh, to benefit from this work anywhere policy that Userlane has that increasingly companies okay. have now. So basically, you can work from anywhere. So we escaped the heat of England and went to Spain for a bit, um, where where it was a bit cooler, okay. thankfully. So I mean, right, it, I, right. had, we were in the north of Spain. The south of Spain was like an oven, but in the part we were in, it was cooler. So. <laughs> <laughs> I like it. I like it. So you know what? I, I know quite a few people that have done the same thing to kind of escape different temperatures. We have that up. We have that up in the Midwest all the time. People, they leave the Midwest in the winter for good reasons. I, it's not, it's not nice in the winter up here, believe it or not, with sub-zero temperatures and, and mounds of snow and all that stuff. So believe it or not, they go south to try and escape it. So it I can relate to an that. image though, right? When, when you tell people that, oh yeah, yeah, we, we summer in Spain and we winter in the Alps, that you don't want to say it that. Does. That's like awful. You don't want to talk it's, about that. <laughs> I know. You know what? I get the same, I get the same response from people if I correct them when they call me Chris. If I go, oh no, actually it's Christopher. It's the exact same response is like oh i summer somewhere else people have this like oh wow you're you're one of those and they're like no i'm not but okay <laughs> yeah. and I'm, I'm a pretty down down to earth normal guy right but I, I i live in winchester in hampshire in england and people automatically assume i'm in a little castle with a butler outside so uh... <laughs> <laughs> well you do have a cool setup i gotta say the background and setup you have a way cooler background than i do i just have fred my friendly fake house plant and my and my map on the other side, and that's that's it. It's pretty plain. Um, yeah. Okay, so let's let's transition a little bit um, about you and kind of your background in this space because you're you're the head of product for Userlane, correct? Is that your current role? Yeah, absolutely. So uh, chief product officer at Userlane. Uh, been here a couple okay. of years now. Uh, coming up, actually, coming up to exactly a couple of years. So I was uh, I was one of those people who did uh, I guess over in in the US, you call it the big quit um and oh, uh, the great okay. resignation so i yeah uh, the great I, resignation all right exactly you were doing hop, something hop else over, and you said enough of this hopped over to user lane in at the end of uh, at the end of 2020 which is uh you know terrible times for everybody but it opened up a lot of opportunities okay um but yeah so now, I, background I mean, wise was this like were you like always you know did you always have this childhood dream of leading product for a software adoption 
technology? No, naturally. Yeah, when the careers advisor took me to one side when I was like 14 years old and they said, what do you want to be doing? I said, I want to work in product management. That's, that's I want to lead area. product development. But, you know, specifically, yeah, yeah. if there's a technology that helps with digital adoption, that's really the exactly. path. And they well, said, we know exactly what. If I had explained that to the careers officer back in the mid 90s or early 90s, they wouldn't have known what I was talking about. Right. And neither no, they would wouldn't I. So have. No, nothing, no, nothing true. that I'm doing right now probably existed. Um, but yeah, no. So this it's not what I've always wanted to be doing because it's not always existed. But increasingly, as my career has gone by, um, when I first started out, you know, we were we were we were living the dream. Right. We were grabbing a CD. Uh, taking it to people's offices, putting it into a server, installing it, and then running through an intensive week-long or two-week-long training program and giving people certificates saying, well done, you know how to use the dashboards, and well done, you know how to configure a contact center, those sorts of things. And um, and yeah, so naturally- I posted na about that yesterday because that was kind of like my start too. It was, you went in, you installed this big healthcare system, and then- yeah. You sat and with you them get? for like two weeks and you're like, all right, you've been trained. And then you Good get luck. this thing where you, you've given them everything they're going to need to know in their user journey, right? You've given it to them in some concentrated, hey, this is basics 101. Then you've got the admin course and then you've got your expert course. You like yep. condensed it down into two weeks and gave them everything that they might need to know over the next 12 months. Yeah. And you might not need this for another two yeah. years, but and then what happened? I'm going to yeah. tell you now and you better remember it. <laughs> <laughs> and then they call up and they say, I don't remember how to do this. Well, we did cover that on day three, but you won't remember. It's fine because that was six months ago. So yep. I think it's naturally things have started moving more towards in the flow of learning, right? So in, in the yep. flow of work. So you need to, you need things to be presented to you when you need them, not, you know, six months ago when you have no clue what the context is and you don't really understand what the problem yeah. is either. So, yeah. so were so, you all in the software space just in a different capacity of that? No, absolutely not. So I was, uh, oh. so I have a, a, a very colorful past in the, uh, my, my education. When I was starting out, I wanted to be an archaeologist, Christopher. So um, really? I, was, I was going to be Indiana Jones. Um, and then I realized that obviously one, the role is taken Two, it doesn't pay very well. And, and three, <laughs> I'm not, I'm not patient enough. So basically, I'm very passionate. It's, about that's it. the part that I don't think my dad wanted to be an archaeologist. And I remember he said, I thought it until I went into my first like few semesters of it. And I was like, how much time am I going to sit here just like sifting yeah, yeah. through dirt? I can't do this. And that's the fun part, by the way. <laughs> that's the fun part. Yeah. <laughs> that's the like super exciting part. Yeah. yeah. So, I mean, yeah, my, my, my wife, I took her on a first date back in 1999. And the first date was to a room I was working in where I was basically classifying 500 year old skeletons and working out, you know, how they died and all that sort of stuff. So yeah, that's where I started out okay. very quickly pivoted into, into basically working with computers. So databases okay. and database design, and then into 3d graphics, video game design, those sorts of things. And then, then came the the transition into into software, basically around okay. two thousand two thousand one. Okay. So okay. yeah, it was well, a, it was. You know, a, it, I can yeah. I can see the connection because some of it, you know, archaeology, you're trying to get to the bottom, solve complex problems, and put pieces together. And I guess digital adoption is helping solve the complexity of software. I mean, you could make some parallels. You could make some parallels, well, I suppose. Interestingly, and this is maybe we get onto it later, like what is the future for digital adoption, right? And you start talking yeah. about where the technology is evolving, this thing could come full circle. Because if you think about the kind of technology we do in digital adoption, we can get into it in a bit more detail. You know, we help people with contextual contextual guides and hints on pages to on, on in applications to help them understand how to do something while they're doing it. And now we're starting to see that move into the real world. You've got this mixed reality, yeah. mixed mode, augmented reality with people wearing headsets, <sighs> literally performing engineering tasks with, with guides and hints in front of them. And the funny thing is, it's not necessarily new technology. I have a, a friend, no. um, a university friend who did psychology. He worked in computer interaction and he was working for the Ministry of Defense, building headsets for people jumping out of airplanes and storming buildings. That would do exactly the same this kind of you know real-time augmented reality telling them where to go in smoke-filled rooms that sort of thing so now we're seeing that transition into more applicable things for the real life yeah. who knows maybe i go full circle maybe archaeologists have headsets oh man now wouldn't exactly that be that wouldn't that be the cat's pajamas if exactly. actually that's yeah. so so this actually does transition to the next one because for those of you who may be you know sitting here listening to our you know somewhat ridiculous 
but relevant conversation about we'll archaeology we'll and yeah, software yeah, yeah. adoption. There is some confusion around, well, what, what do you mean digital adoption? And I love the analogy you made to, to augmented reality, but I am curious because I have no doubt when you, when you interact with people that maybe don't know you and they say, well, what do you do for a living? And you're like, well, I'm the head of product for user lane. And like, what's user lane? And, and you explain it and you say it's a digital adoption platform. I have to imagine you still in this day and it's not, you know, like saying I work for Microsoft where people go, oh, okay. Yeah. I kind of know what they do. How do you explain to people what digital adoption technology is? That's a, it's a great question because I mean, we ask ourselves the same question like literally every time we look at the vision and the strategy and say, what is a digital adoption platform? It's, it is fairly nascent, right? This hasn't been around for 10 years. And the no, kind of technology, hasn't. the moving parts, the bits that make this possible kind of have. And we've, we've had the, you know, you see little bits of this if you go back into the history and the annals of time. of Yeah, of like, I mean, of, very of basic but, kind of inflow prompts exactly. or things like that. Again, I know I know some of my folks in the digital adoption space hate being compared to Clippy, but I do think kind of the very early days of like, I mean, that's kind of what yeah. Clippy was. He was kind of like, how do I do a pivot table? And Clippy showed you what to do. Exactly, exactly. What I think I think a lot of the the ideas aren't new, right? The ideas definitely no. aren't new. And so, so basically what a digital adoption platform is and what we like to think of it of as user lane is our mission is to help anybody use any software instantly. Okay. And I think that's, that's basically what we want. And if you turn that on its head and think, what is the goal of a CIO in a company? Well, they're always talking about digital transformation. We need to turn this process, this thing, which is a piece of paper goes from here to here and it turns into something, turn that into a digital process. And then the only way you can succeed if you do that is then by getting people to adopt that process. Actually, and so people it. people implement things like CRM platforms and marketing automation systems, and they put software in their company all the time. The number of applications people are using is increasing massively. So dozens, dozens <laughs> of applications, hundreds. In I a, just in a I just posted last and, week. Jane Hart did a thing, and there were and and I can tell you right now, people are using more than this. But she had like a hundred L and D tools just for L and D P and it wasn't even like the big wow. tech that we use. This was just tools yeah, that yeah. people are using. What? So I don't deny that one bit. And that's probably just the ones they know of, right? What about all the right. hidden apps? ones that are kind of like secretly slid under the door and, and under the radar that people are implementing in their departments or that are so ingrained in your flow of work. Yeah. You forget to even yeah. mention or think of it. Cause you're like, Oh yeah, I guess I use that every day type of a thing. Exactly, exactly. So there's this there's this phrase I've heard a lot about, you know, software is basically eating the world. There's this there's this there's, there's, <laughs> there's soft, software everywhere. There's an app every five minutes, all these sorts of things. And how do you make sure that people are using the right app at the right time, that they're doing the right thing? You've probably got one guy, Dave, in your company, and he does something really easily and quickly because he's been there ages. How do you make sure him doing that for five minutes and knowing exactly how to do it right? is transposed onto all of your other employees who also should be doing that and you know and not struggling around because in the in okay let's think about the world we live in you you're at home i'm at home i'm mostly at home and so is most of my team that's the reality we have this yeah. mixed mixed sort of mode of working where people could be anywhere and how many people just can't turn to the guy next to them and say hey how do you do this again you know how do i book yeah. vacation how much time do we lose in an organization because Dave wants to book vacation in a new application. He's never used it. And he wastes 20 minutes trying to find out how. And yeah. that's the problem. So with a digital- Well, and the thing you brought up right yeah. there that I think a lot of times gets missed with, with this conversation. And I think this is where we miss the real value statement with it. I mean, I think there's value to just how to use software. Okay, yeah. when you think about the inefficiency and time wasted, going and asking 30 different people. And I mean, I, I can think of an example fairly recently where it was like, where's our holiday schedule? And that turned into a three hour exercise of like emailing people and being like, I can't, can you find notes in this stuff? It was a nightmare. So there is that inefficiency of just where do you find stuff? How do you, how do you locate it or how do you use it? But you, you really hit on the business process optimization. And that to me is one of these pieces that isn't often talked about enough in this space is we have these processes. These processes are now becoming digitized because they're done mm -hmm. in systems. And it's, well, how are you ensuring that those processes 
are actually happening the way they need to happen to be effective or even consistently so you can tell, is this process the right process or is it a broken process we need to fix? Exactly. And there's two things there. One of them is that obviously the, the optimization of that process is probably why he bought the platform in the first place. Why did we buy a CRM tool? Because we wanted to be basically get leads into a system and then get them out and turn them into right. opportunities and then deals quicker. Right. That, that's basically why we did all that. And then we wanted to manage it in a single. Yeah, nobody was like, you know what we should do? Yeah. Spend a boatload of money. I have no idea why, but yeah. let's like buy it. And who knows whether we use it or not. Maybe some people will like it. Like there was somebody somewhere was like, we need to optimize the way we do X. That's how it was sold to them. That's how it was. Salesforce don't sell themselves and pipe drive don't sell themselves to people by saying, hey, it's just like you used to do, but slower. Right. That's not what they say. <laughs> and. and <laughs> And so and people are going to hate it. We so, reduce efficiency and slow things down. That's what we yeah. do with your and, processes. And then the, the other problem is the reason I don't think the optimization part gets spoken about enough. People talk about training and, and learning and helping people to you know start using an application. The reason they don't talk about the optimization enough is because I think they're worried. They're worried about this whole theme about robots taking over and you're going to start automating things. And hey, if yeah. if now suddenly you're going to make my job shorter, what about me? And I think what them what what our goal is, what makes me sleep at night, isn't that we might be replacing people. It's that we might be liberating people. We might be freeing people up from the mundane, soul-destroying stuff, allowing people to do people things that they do really well and computers to do computer things. So we're not automating the process. You're teaching people through doing. And, yeah. and that well, and I them. think that's a really yeah. important clarification because I do you do hear fear kind of wreak havoc in some of this stuff. And yeah. and in some ways, that's one of the things that drives this tendency to not want to share and streamline processes is because you've got, you know, Bill, who you mentioned before, who knows how to do this in five minutes and is like, well, I don't I don't really <laughs> want anybody knowing how to do this because I know how to exactly. do this in five minutes. And if everybody can do that, then that's going to be a threat to me. Or what if they decide, wow, if that's all it takes you, why don't we just get a machine to do that and we don't need you anymore? When if if yes, you your goal is to simply do the process for the rest of your life, which chances are I don't I don't know many people who go, you know what I love doing? Mundane processes all day long. Yeah, yeah, it's just exactly. And, and, but and, I think there's that there fear. And therein lies the the mission, the goal for the a digital adoption platform, especially for us at Userlane. Is I mean, not all software is created equal, right? And and I'm gonna I'm gonna call it out because um, because in in my past job, I don't think anyone's ever left a job because of a piece of software they use, right? But absolutely, pieces of software have made people they made employee experiences worse. I mean, if you think that people don't use consumer software because of the experience they have. And they have no choice but to use that software inside an organization that they work for, then that's not going to make them happy, right? And so we use NetSuite in my last company, um, and you had to book holiday on it, do your timekeeping and everything. And it was the worst. It was terrible. It was so awful. And every single time you approached it, you were like, how did I do that again? I can't remember. And yeah. so having a layer, having this kind of like this, um, this layer that, that, this friendly, approachable part of your work, which is always the same across all your applications, which says, hey, book some holiday, do this. A little assistant that pops up, it might not be Clippy. I actually quite like, you know, Clippy's, Clippy's cool. I feel like he gets a bad rep, right? But bringing back this kind of friendly layer to, to, to the applications you use at work that is just there and can soften those edges, um, I think that's yeah. the mission. Well, and and I'm I'm sorry I keep like giggling here, and I, it's not it's not because of our conversation. My wife texted me like in the middle of our conversation. She's like, "Did you literally say the cat's pajamas?" Nice. <laughs> <laughs> so Speaking anyway, that's pajamas, why if you, you see a... me smiling, yeah. it's because she she I keep seeing it out of the corner of my eye and laughing. But the point <laughs> you bring, <laughs> the point you bring up on this is you're right. People aren't necessarily going. And on their exit survey, they're not marking like, why did you leave? Because I hate our, you know, our HR, yeah. you know, our CRM. Yeah. <laughs> they're not going to mention that. But when you think about the fact that if day to day they're frustrated by the fact that, gosh, I'm spending all my time in these obnoxious things. They're making my day frustrating and irritating. And I think this is what we're seeing where the conversation around employee experience is now rising to the surface and people are going, 
Now, the problem I think we have is a lot of people are saying that, but when you go, when you say employee experience, what do you mean? That, that's all over the map. But I think that's yeah. what we're getting at is if you're miserable, which if 80% of your day is spent using different systems and softwares, it has a heavy weight on whether your employee experience sucks or is actually really good. And that, and and that's, I mean, you mentioned employee experience having many dimensions, right? And it means different things to different people. That is a super important point because I my previous role um, was at a an employee experience management company. Uh, we also did customer experience management. So things like surveys, analytics, quite deep analytics to try to work out what actions you need to take to improve the employee experience. But fundamentally, it boils down to a survey, which is the annual engagement survey or the quarterly engagement survey or yep. whatever you happen to be doing. And I think when you say employee experience now, to a lot of people, it's synonymous with engagement and that survey we yes. did. And then yep. people are like, okay, no, people are happy. Look, I, I did this survey and blah, 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 blah. But then the, you get back to, I think EY have this saying, which is the the key to a good to a good answer is to ask a good question, right? And the opposite is also true. If you don't ask the right questions, you're not gonna get the right kind of answers. No, and no, when you when you ask questions yeah. like, how amazing yeah. is, is your employee Imagine experience? how long like... the survey would be. Imagine how long the survey would be <laughs> if you had to ask how they felt about every application they use. Yes. And, and, and yet experience is built over like moments of truth, right? And as an employee, yep. when I did my employee experience survey, I wasn't thinking about XYZ, but then <laughs> you might have been pissed off at the system you were doing your employee experience survey and going like part of the problem is this stupid survey you sent me that took me two and a half hours because I couldn't figure it out. I guarantee but people I think... have left because of employee experience surveys. <laughs> <laughs> I, I they have. But, mm. but I think the other point, and I think this is one of the trends that you see in organizations where I just I can really relate to this back to my software days is there is this idea of, well, to fix the employee experience, we need to buy new platforms. Like, ah, the problem is everybody hates this platform. Let's go buy this new platform. And yeah. I remember in my software days, there were so many medical centers I worked at that they hated the platform until they realized like, oh, that's how you're supposed to use it. I guess this actually does work really well for... But that became a problem. And so sometimes, not to say you shouldn't ever evaluate new technologies, you absolutely should. However, this idea that the solution is always just around the corner by buying a new platform, a lot of times if you don't fix the problems that are actually existing, it's like, well, you're just going to end up with the same problems on a different system. And yeah. just fundamentally, it's impossible to change these huge enterprise platforms every single time people get frustrated with it. It's just not feasible. Yeah, exactly, and I, I don't think it's it's I don't think it's required either because I think we you know you can't. Um, I remember when I when I came to join Userlane, um, one of my uh, one of my ex colleagues warned me. He said, "Dude, you're going to join a company that's basically doing digital adoption and all that. You realize that your competitor is is good user experience, right? So as soon as everyone nails good user experience, you're not going to be relevant anymore. And I'm like, I, that's not at all the point. Right? So <laughs> the archaeologists will be yeah, digging yeah. up my bones and cleaning them off by the time I ever have to worry about that. Exactly. I'm 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 never going to worry about all of these software no. companies suddenly nailing it. Right. That's not going to no. happen. And um, I've heard that in IT conversations before. Oh no, this is going to be such an intuitive design that we're not going to need train. Well, I have seen more initiatives done around that than I can count and it hasn't happened. And I just don't think we're ever going to get there because again, that's such a personal, everybody's experience is so personal that to try and cater to, it's just, it's not possible to design a system that's so flexible that everyone's experience can be so intuitive. It works perfectly for them. And no matter what, you still have that learning curve on the front end. And, and it's not just about that. So I think the other dimensions, so what you've said is totally correct, but there are more dimensions to digital adoption platforms. So it's not just about making sure people can intuitively do like something, it. but yeah. making sure people know what is the, what is the relevant thing they need to do now right so yes. it's the context and and actually being able to push something to somebody and say right today you guys need to make sure you did this and and, and actually pushing people into a process making sure they've been when they need to and not 
not yes. having to go around like old-fashioned managers like tapping on people's shoulders and hey did you do your timesheets hey did you do your vacation you know have you have you put all these opportunities in properly did you make sure you entered all the phone numbers the right way around because we're changing the way that we use the outbound dialing system or whatever yeah and so, well and so that, so that yeah. one that the data validation piece honestly like human error is just mm-hmm. something that you can't user experience your design your way out of the fact that people make mistakes they're going to input something wrong and again even going back to this business process your business process determines how you use the system you can't that's exactly use your experience right. yeah. design your way around it yeah that's exactly right i uh, because also you've got lots of different systems working together inside a company and, and yes. applications working across you know your processes working across applications and one example from very early in my career we're talking probably going back to 2005 now 2004 2005 i worked for a company with we a telecoms platform and um, and they integrated with a CRM system. CRM system was absolutely fine. Nothing wrong with it. it. Had all the validation you'd expect on a phone number field, right? And so you could enter a valid phone number and not an invalid phone number. But the the they had a, an outbound dialer from us, which is the way you basically can can click on the screen to call somebody. Yep. And that had a specific format that needed to be in. Now the problem isn't on one platform or the other. It's the fact that both things have a different concept of what a good phone number looks like, and there needs yeah. to be some passing in between. And so then you've got everyone going around saying, hey, guys, in, in the system, make sure you enter phone numbers this way, right? And and that's a manual process. You're putting a manual process into a system that already has validation. So what the CRM system's concept is, isn't compatible with what the business process yep. requires. And that's where a DAP can help as well. You can stick something on top of that that says, hey, do it this way. And it has validation in. It won't let you do it the wrong way. So Yeah. Uh, well, and not to mention, system, like... Right? The, the whole like, well, what if, you know, once systems get to a point where the user experience is seamless, people won't need this. You also would then also have to assume, yeah, once businesses get to a point, they never have to change their process again because they figured out their process so perfectly. It's perfect the same and never change. It's never going to happen. It's just, it's not a reality. So again, yeah, I yeah. think your archaeology, you'll be, we'll be long dead before we ever have to be concerned about that. Exactly. I mean, archaeology, history, call it what you want, but we see the same problems and paradigms repeating themselves anyway, right? So I've now, I've now been in this long enough for the same stuff that we fixed 20 years ago to now be a problem again because no one knows. <laughs> now it's new stuff. It's just called something else. Like, oh no. Exactly. Yeah. So so let's let's shift gears a little bit because I am curious, um, and this is actually a question that, that Boss brought up. Uh, and, and I think it's a good question, which we actually said we want to talk about this a little bit. And there's there's kind of a twofold thing. I've got a perspective on where it fits into kind of an L&D. But let's kind of first back up a little bit and talk about where are you seeing organizations fit this? Because there is, whenever I talk about system adoption, I've been in conversations where some learning leaders go, oh, we don't touch systems. Others are like, well, every once in a while, we'll get pulled into an initiative. Now, that's if you're on more of the HR side. You start talking to functional learning leaders, oftentimes they're deeply steeped. But I am curious, first of all, before we talk where it fits in L&D, where are people actually really maximizing digital adoption tech? Yeah, that's a... It's a great question because it's it's changing, it's evolving. Like I said, I mean, digital okay. adoption is not uh, it's not an old space. Um, no, it's not. Over, over the last few years, I mean, we're, we're building it right now, right? So it is what we want it to be uh, to an extent or what the market and consumers need it to be. It's If you were asking me this question two years ago, probably most customers, are you're looking at a business process owner owning the okay. digital adoption platform, right? That makes so sense. You've got, you've got someone who's um, in sales or around sales, responsible for CRM, responsible for Salesforce or whatever they are. And they're like, okay, I need something on top of Salesforce. So I'm going to put user lane on there. I'm going to build some guides. I'm going to put some tool tips in. I'm going to do some contextual learning and all this sort of stuff inside Salesforce. Okay. And then you so see- So sales enablement. I mean, I, I think that they were some of the but biggest then, customers that I knew several years yeah. ago. And, and then you see it across the suite, right? You see people saying, oh, that's cool what you guys are doing over there. We need that over here as well. And then you see, you know, it's suddenly it's on the HCM platform. And then five minutes later, it's somewhere else. And so you see it sort of spreading, but it goes from business process owner to business process owner because their their remit is to make make this process right. work. Why <laughs> They're accountable to people right? actually being yeah. compliant to these processes. And, and what we're seeing in a shift now, I mean, I did a, a breakfast roundtable in London a few months ago before the summer. It was amazing, actually, because it was the first in-person event I'd done since COVID, which was okay. awesome. 
and actually seeing people face to face in London again was amazing. <laughs> but it was um, it was mainly it was mainly people uh, uh, sort of um, uh, people leaders, so uh, CHROs and stuff like that. And uh, we did a we did a report uh, earlier this year. I got it in front of me. It's the State of Digital Adoption Report because we wanted to work out okay exactly this question: who who owns these processes and and how does it go and all this sort of stuff. And we tried to find out and we couldn't because no one had really done the study before. So we did the study. Interesting. And so we got all these people together to release this report. And everyone agreed around the table. Like, like so the people people are saying, okay, this whole process uh, of digital adoption and monitoring and stuff like that, it's it's to do with software. It must be owned by the CIO, right? And then the CIO or the mm. tech people are looking at it thinking, well, it's employee experience. No, it's to do with adoption. It's to do with the application owners. It's to do with XYZ. So they're looking at it. It's got to be to do with you. And then when you ask the same question to the CTOs, what they're saying is, is I'm doing digital transformation, but I've got nothing to measure that. So I don't actually have any any single metric. I don't know where the digital transformation works. I'm just being told, make sure you digitally transform everything and put yeah. software in places to do stuff. So who owns it? It's shifting. It's shifting from yeah. com being completely decentralized to being to having a centralized control or a centralized implementation, but then okay. with the de decentralized ownership of the individual business processes or applications and stuff like that. Okay. And that's what we're seeing. Okay. Well, you know, it's interesting because I was always curious because you're closer to it, you know, since you're implementing all these. And again, I, I talk to a lot of orgs and then I just I have a point of view on a lot of things. And it's very similar to what you're what you're saying where that is kind of where i saw it in the beginning it was these little pockets would spike up and then all of a sudden you had 50 of these little pockets all over and then a lot of times what happened was the organization either all of a sudden went like why do we have 57 contracts on this type of a thing and usually it was a financial exercise yeah. but then they struggled to kind of figure out well who does own this then type of a thing and i do see now I almost see this as a strategic opportunity for L&D right now to say, yeah. we're in the business of performance and people development. Why not? Don't wait for the business to go. We don't know who owns this here. It's in your lap. To me, this is one of those areas where we can actually take a strategic position at the table and go, you're all trying to solve employee experience. You're trying to solve how to better use our systems we're in the business of developing people and improving performance. Here's something we can come to. But I think your point of you can't try and run it all centrally, that'll get a little too crazy because there's just no way to know all the nuances of the business 100%. process. Exactly. And I, I see, I mean, I think I think the CIO in the organization would like to see themselves as a as a someone who can empower the organization in the same way that you know, the CHRO wants to empower employees to be have access to all the things they need. And if you can provide this sort of tool to all of the people who need it, L&D would be one of them, then yeah. they can use it. But there's almost an existential question for, for L&D, I think, in terms of digital adoption. And that is how much of L&D's time, like the actual, you know, talking about what computers can do and what people can do well, how much of L&D's time should be spent teaching people how to do a particular business process in in Salesforce, right? And yeah. and that that it's kind of soul destroying, right? What's you know, do you invest in <laughs> absolutely? Absolutely we spend hey. we spend hours every single week teaching people how to put an opportunity into the CRM tool. Yeah. And 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 at the end of the day, that's something that a computer can do great, right? You you nail that process, user lane can actually help people guide them through it and make sure they're doing it properly and you can track and monitor that. And then you can get L and D to focus on the really important thing, which is like I said earlier. My job didn't even exist when I started out in tech and neither did the kind of software that we do or the kind of problems that we're solving. What are the next challenges for your company? Where do people need to grow? Where are the real things they need to yeah. learn? Well, and I think to boss's question, and this is kind of the, the follow on. So like, where does L&D's role sit in this? I, 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 again, I think it's a little ubiquitous right now. It's like, well, it's a unique opportunity for us to kind of call the shots in that because there isn't a clear definition of, oh, IT owns this and L&Ds. It is an opportunity for us to go, well, how do we think that fits? And then let's go to the table with what that looks like. Because where I've seen success with this is similar to what we talked about from more of a federated model where L&D can almost set up the center of excellence around how do you think about this rightly? 
And again, not to be the subject matter expert, but to say, how do you use these principles well? How do you use this technology well? Because I've seen it used extremely poorly in yeah. organizations where it's like, oh, great. We can jam crap in people's faces when they're here. Like, let's jam crap in front of people's. And it's like, no, 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 no. That is the wrong way yeah, to yeah. use a digital adoption platform. And I think that's where as L&D people, we understand the principles of this to say, how do you use this properly? What questions should you ask? How do you define where it makes sense and where it doesn't? And being in some ways almost that coach and whether that's your design team specifically, or whether you have, you know, kind of a technical team that really works with the systems. To me, that is where I've seen it extremely successful is let's figure out how to use this well. Let's be the enablement team of this technology, but then let's be the partners with the, with the functional teams to say, you've got this business system, you've got this business process, let us help you think about it. And then give you the keys a little bit and say, now you own it. You own it yeah. and we're here to support you and things like that. Yeah, exactly. And I think the 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 goals of a of an L and D team, right? And you you might be using a learning management suite or something like that to create curricula or things that you're just going to give people to to checkbox when they start working in a company or when they're going through a particular training course or something like that. And I think their their goals might be quite different to a user's goals at that time. So it's this in the flow yes. of work, which is important. So what we're seeing increasingly, we work with a lot of L&D teams, but also with a lot of just generally business process owners to say, okay, this, this is going to pop up when you need it, but it's going to check something off on your LMS, right? So if you're, yeah. if, if, if you're going through, a, if you're learning how something works, or you're going through a, a curriculum in, in your learning management system and it says, okay, learn how to how sales works or how the system works, X, Y, Z. How to put a lead and, into your CRM. Yeah, exactly. And then you just click rather than going through a document or a video that someone filmed or something like that, you can also click <laughs> and go straight into the tool and actually do it. And that's even better. What a novel and, idea. Actually yeah, assess if somebody idea. can do the yeah. thing versus exactly. whether they watched the thing that told and, them how to. And it, it, to me, it's all about, so when I, when I, you know, when, if you think about a company like Userlane, it's mostly around interactive guides, right? It's mostly around interactive yeah. content that you present on the screen, but that's that's the now and and or the, the past more likely. And actually, what it's evolving into is something way more holistic. So it's not just about interactive guides; it's about a bunch of yes. other content you want to make available as well. So what we're also trying to do is cater for people who learn in different styles. I mean, L&D teams know this, and we know this from years of experience, that everybody learns in different ways. Some people learn by doing, some people learn by, some people love to watch videos. I mean, you look at the success of TikTok, right? And YouTube shorts. You, people will sit for hours just watching short clips of things. And so you need to cater for all those different ways and styles of learning as well. Um, and learning by doing, the interactiveness of it is an extremely important part of it because you can track and measure it, but it's one of the yeah. tools in the arsenal. Well, and I think that's, again, as, and this is where when I've seen success with digital adoption, and then I want to get into the like actually measuring this, because this is kind of where we're going with this, which mm. I think will will tie into this. But a, a lot of times I, this can feel overwhelming for orgs and and rightly so. They can kind of look at this and go, holy cat, like in, in, in lane guidance and we can push things to people and we can... And it almost becomes just analysis paralysis where people freak out. And I think it's one of those things where when I've seen success, it's you don't have to start with everything. Start with yeah. some of your biggest pain points, ease those pain points, and then continue layering on top of it additional things. Because over time, certain things you're going to realize, you know what, that really wasn't that big of an issue. We can take some of that stuff out. This is really a strategic opportunity to do this here. Let's layer that in. Or maybe this is only for a period of time because we're making a major change. But eventually that major change is just what we do. We don't need to spend yeah. as much time. And I think that when you start to break it down, it, it becomes a little bit easier. Yeah. And you've, you've, I think you've, you've, hint, you've, you've, you've touched on the probably the biggest challenge for a company adopting this kind of technology is exactly that. And you can liken it to, I guess, um, imagine your car, right? The purpose of the dashboard in your car is to tell you what's wrong, right? What's right yeah. and also what's wrong. You know, how fast am I going? What are my res and blah, blah, blah. But there's a billion different alerts. In the old days, it would be <laughs> actual little bulbs, right? You'd have had like, and you'd have seen them when you turn the car and you'd have seen all these lights that some of them turn off and some of them stay there. Nowadays, it's all, you know, whatever the electronic display on your car is going <laughs> to pop up 
a million things you've never seen before. And you go into the garage and you say, you say, look, this is wrong with my car. It told me the tires are wrong or this is wrong or this is wrong. And then they'll plug a computer and it'll tell them exactly what's wrong. Now, imagine you had a car and it didn't have any of that. You just took it in and said, well, something's wrong because it's making a noise. Okay, let's strip the whole thing down and we'll get there eventually. It's going to take you a bunch of time. It's going to be super frustrating. You might not even fix it and you might make it worse. And if you think about a digital adoption platform, it's the same. What do you do first, right? What's the biggest pain that the user experience yeah. experiences? If I'm trying to fix digital adoption, if I'm trying to help people adopt this platform I've got here or adopt this process or whatever, then how do I know where to do that? Who do I target? What's the what's the first yep. job I should do? Not let's all sit in a room and think about the 20 things we want to build guides about or the 50 no, tools that we no. want to add. And, and if you think about tr traditional learning and development, that's how they do it, right? So what we're, <laughs> what we're spending most of our time on right now is analytics, right? It's, yeah. it's actually what you can do with the digital adoption platform is really clever. You can switch user lane on, not create any content, and just watch and say, okay, what well, people are doing. I, can, I can see that people are struggling here. So it's, it's understanding what, where people are struggling and then having the toolbox and saying, okay, now in my toolbox, I can I can improve this by creating a guide. I can improve this by popping up an announcement to say, yeah. hey, remember to do your X, Y, Z. I can improve stickiness in this application. I can make sure people adopt a process by looking at task completion. And then taking that one level up. So if you think about in your organization, how am I reporting? So I'm gonna show you one screenshot of the tool here. Okay. Um, so I'm just gonna hope this works. Uh, yep, but basically, yeah, so this is this shows the pulse of your applications across across your organization. And we have a, a heart score in user lane. And this heart score is basically um, uh, five components to it. There's happiness, uh, engagement, uh, adoption, retention, and task completion. And we see that as holistic. So you're actually putting you metrics to health of an application versus exactly just right. this like... Yeah, yeah vague ethereal like yeah, yeah people like, like it or they don't well that doesn't really tell us anything about it absolutely and it encompasses all of the dimensions that we think are really important to make sure you know if you were to ask me has an application been adopted is user lane being adopted that's what we track right okay well yep. do people are people returning to this are the number of people in the organization who i expected to use this using this um are the tasks that i thought were important in this application being completed um, and, and you can start tracking all of these things. And then fundamentally, you add the H to that. Actually, how do people feel about this app by gathering yeah. in-app feedback through user lane? Because that's an important dimension. It doesn't matter if they're doing it all is. their tasks. If they, if they hate yeah, it. Yeah, if they hate it, if they're doing it, but they're absolutely yeah. miserable, that's a different story. And, and it could be really fixable things, right? People might hate your application because every time they go in, they have to log in, right? That It could be as simple as that. I hate this app because I'm going to give you a low score. Because <laughs> I'm asked for in, my SSO or my single exactly, sign-on every single every time, time, even if I've only been out and of it for five minutes. Exactly. So you give you give someone in an organization a super high level of, okay, I've got 20 apps, I've got 100 apps, I've got 1,000 apps, whatever it happens to be, and I've got actionable things now. And user lane's telling me, okay, I can go in and, um, and for instance, you know, fix that problem with signing in. Or I know that people aren't completing this task. Well, how do I push people to the right content to nudge them in the right way to make sure they're doing that. So this is this is kind of just trying to make sure that what user lane's role is is not just it's not just giving you the toolbox, right? Yeah. Which is where we started. You start Which, by giving people it, the toolbox. And I love that you brought this up because, you know, one of the things I wanted to talk about which now we've naturally led to this is kind of where this is going because again, I've been these these aren't new. Digital adoption's not new, but it is relatively new. I mean, I was playing around with it in 2015-ish, you know, a little before then. And it was in its infancy kind of then. And I mean, they were clunky. They were heavy, weighty, you know, type of a thing. But they worked. Um, yeah. and, and now, you know, but I think your point of th they could do stuff. But it really was pretty heavy on you to then interpret, well, is this working? Is this not? I don't really know type of a thing. So what you're showing there is, is really kind of the next generation, which I think this is now moving us. You hear in the industry a lot talk about analytics and insights. Hmm. And a lot of what I see is more dashboards and information. And it's not necessarily telling you anything. It's up to you to kind of yeah. go, well, Wow, that's a really neat chart. There's lots of things on it. 
that looks good or it doesn't look good. And it's very subjective in terms of, well, is it really telling me anything that I can do something about versus we're gathering all these data points and serving it up to you in a way that says, yeah, here's what we're seeing. And based on that, here's what that means so that you can start to go, oh, that's an interesting meal. Maybe there's something we can do about that to try and move that score around. Yeah, I think it's, it's a, uh... Yeah, exactly right. I, there's one thing that I realized in my last company, like I said, we were in experience management and I realized no one in the world wakes up in the morning on a Monday after a weekend and says, you know what I really want to do? I want to build a survey, right? That's the last thing <laughs> people think, right? And and it's, it's, and it, it, the point of that little, you know, anecdote is, is, is that people are time poor, right? They've got a billion things they're worried about. They've got a billion things to do. The last thing they need is to try to learn how to interpret your incredibly beautiful but ultimately not very insightful dashboards and numbers and all this sort of stuff and you can throw numbers at people as much as you want but what you really have to throw at people is what do you do now right so you need to yeah. give people something say and and i mean we've been talking about actionable insights so much it's lost all meaning right i want actionable yeah. insights fantastic have all the numbers and it's like well yeah you know, Here, here's another dashboard that has a whole yeah. bunch of fancy graphs and charts on it Exactly. And if it doesn't tell you what you want, don't worry. You've got, you can export it to Excel and build whatever you want. Like whatever. <laughs> it's, <laughs> but it's, if it's not, if it doesn't tell me what to do, I don't have time to work out what to do. So what am I going to do? I'm either going to forget about it, shelve it, move on to the thing I can do something about, or I'm going to have to spend more money, get someone who understands these things. I'm going to have to get a consultant in. I'm going to have to dig deeper, all these sorts of things or make time. Yeah. So everything is just cost and time. And so our job, actually, one of our eth, one of the bit of our ethos at Userlane is we want to um, fight for simplicity, and and help users win and help the customer yeah. win. So that, it's that thing that says, if you've got a digital adoption platform, no one woke up in the morning saying the one thing I want to build right now is a guide, or the one thing I want to do is see how well adopted this is. They might have that question in their mind, but they've got a billion other things to do. So I need to make yeah. this super simple for them. Well, and I think, and I, and I have a follow-up question to this, but I think where organizations start, you know, you, we've talked about a lot of different ways that there are entry points to this that can feel less overwhelming. You know, even, even like you said, just turn it on and start to gather feedback and data on how are people using the system? Because I think that is one of the challenges that I am excited about what technology can do for us now is a lot of these things were that were a black box where it was like, this isn't working. And you're like, why? Well, I, I really have zero idea. And really the only options that we had were like, well, you could go do focus groups and surveys and you could do all this and then you'd get it. And you're like, well, that's not really actually exactly telling us, or this is like a very small person. And now it's at a point where we can go, well, actually, no, we can, concretely tell you, here's what's happening. That's a pretty easy entry point. I mean, I even think in some orgs I've been mm. with, you know, you have ticketing centers a lot of times, and that's also another really easy, I mean, you could, you can ask your analytics people, what are the top 30 tickets that you get? And you're like, oh, how much time do you spend responding yeah. to this? Click these five steps. Well, we get 700 tickets of these a week and we spend probably X number of hours, which becomes very easy to quantify. So there are some easy ways to jump into it. Yeah, definitely. And I think it is that um, there's a combination. It, it's when you start to combine this qualitative and yes. quantitative world. That's that's the really clever part. And it's something that people have been talking about for absolutely years. Oh, I want to get more into qual and quant and start blending these two things together and understand what the, you know, what the terminator is between them. What does it mean to us? Because... <laughs> You can't really just make decisions based on quant data, right? That would be awful. No, right? so you go back. That would be a terrible the, decision. <laughs> you, you go. You go back. That's what happens the, when you turn AI on and just let AI make decisions. Exactly. You get racist Twitter, and and I think the problem <laughs> is that if you just look at the volume of the data available to you and make decisions based on that, it's you need to decide with data, and you need to combine what people feel and what people think with also with also the the facts, the things that you can't escape. How many people do this? What are they doing when? And those sorts of things. Yeah. Well, and I think the the point that, you know, we brought this up earlier um, and, and also uh, before I say this, I think back to before we went live, some of the conversation we had where we were laughing a little bit about some of these arguments that people get into right now, where it's like you're arguing two sides and it's like it's 
you're you're arguing over the wrong thing. And I think of that same yeah. thing with measurement. Well, is quantitative data the right data or is qualitative? And it's like, yeah. um, yes. Like it's it's just yes, it's both. We need both of these things. Absolutely. No. Yeah. And I, I couldn't I couldn't come from a company that, that dealt with employee experience management and surveys and stuff and say that asking people didn't matter. Right. That's actually why when, when I joined Userlane, it was like, OK, I, we've got to add the age. Right. We have to look at what people yeah. think. And, and but we have to do it in a way that makes sense. And I think what we what we need to bring to users so that they can do their jobs easily is bring them a framework and say, it's not about a billion numbers. It's not about X, Y, Z. In order to tell you what to do next, you have to look at something that fits inside a framework. Say, what does good look like? And how can I then improve that with this toolbox? And that's, that's I think, the purpose of a digital adoption platform. That's the P, right? If it doesn't yeah. do that, then it's not a DAP. It's just a digital adoption tool, I guess. How do you turn it from a tool into a platform? <laughs> a DAP. <laughs> Like, like we need another acronym in the mix. Exactly, we don't need any more acronyms. <laughs> they all mean a million things. So, so, but I am. So here, here's something because I've one of the risks I've seen with these because they, I think they have tremendous potential. I really do. And and the the thing you brought up earlier about to me, I see them as the AR of systems. And and I'm excited for where AR is going because like, well, wouldn't it be great if you could just have this kind of guidance in real life, which it's not a, wouldn't it be great? Cause you can, I've done it, you know, for years. It's not new either, but I am curious. Sometimes the danger of these things where there's so much potential, right? We talked about the complexity of all these things and you could do this and you could do that and all these analytics coming in and you can have all this visibility into stuff. Sometimes that can almost set things up to fail because all of a sudden people's expectations are this is the solution to our software problems. This is the solution to all of our broken business processes. If we have a DAP, bam, digital transformation, we will go from 85% failure to 99% success. And yeah. that's dangerous territory to get into. So kind of a twofold question is, what are some of those things that you kind of, you caution people where you go, yeah, careful. And, and what are some of those common pitfalls? Yeah, I, it's, uh, <laughs> that's a great question. That was kind of all encompassing as well. So, I mean, it, it, you're exactly right, right? Software, an application or a platform can't solve every problem that you have. And what we try to focus on is what is the, what is the job to be done, right? What is the thing? What is, what is the next thing that this person is trying to do that's really important? And then you prioritize and you try to say, okay, this is this is what digital adoption platform is for us. We have to take that back to our main, our main goal, which is we want to help any user to get help as quickly as possible. And it has to be relevant and, and it has to be as easy as possible as well. And that's really what the mission is. We want to be easy, relevant, fast, and in, in everywhere where the user is. And that gives us our our mission. We're not going to solve every single problem in the world. And there are actually applications that do amazing jobs at, you know, uh, mining all of the applications for all of the usage data and, sure. and license usage and stuff like that. And we can touch on that, and that's great. And we can certainly see ourselves moving in that direction. But it's it, it's you know we're never going to solve everybody's problem. Um, you need to have a great implementation team and a center of excellence. And I okay. think that's important. You mentioned center of excellence before, and I think it often gets people often use the phrase, we need a center of excellence for this. And then that's just a phrase they say one day. And they said that in yeah. Q1. And then in Q4, they're like, so how's the center of excellence going? Well, Dave's very busy. And you know, there you go. <laughs> you need to you need to invest in a center of excellence, right? And, yeah. and so Userlane has a, an amazing, um, an amazing uh, professional services team, basically, or implementation team. That's a more accurate way of phrasing it. It's not a professional services team. It's an implementation team that helps customers to, to ride that okay. first wave, right? To try to adopt and say, okay, these are the problems user lane is really good at solving. And this is where you should apply this application. And then and then we have implementation partners and stuff like that who can help with it. But fundamentally, a customer needs to understand what is user lane gonna help me do? Where does that overlap with LMS? Where does it not overlap with LMS? You know, how does it fit within yeah. the ecosystem? They're I can see that be... one too. People thinking, cause you see this with systems too, where they're like, yeah. oh, it can do that. Can it replace our LMS? And you're like, uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, like, I, well, but for it some people, could, it, maybe for some people in some situations. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Yeah. 
for some people it genuinely could and i think may, maybe maybe there are situations where because you can do all the same things right you can have an assistant you can have cohorts you can do you can do segmentation for users and location yeah. and all this stuff and i can create a curriculum of things that you can run through ultimately learning is about having something that is personalized to a user and and encompasses a lot more than just what you see on your screen inside that application yeah. but i think you even touched on it earlier like when and we spoke about it with augmented reality we have a 2026 and we're going to go further vision you know like a five ten year vision of what we want what we think the dap space will be and what we think use lane will be and hell if if in five years time someone's not wearing an ar headset and learning something then you know something's wrong right microsoft yeah, are already doing this so yeah okay well and I, that I'm really interested to see if the DAP, as the DAP, you know, as you play in this space, I think you are well positioned to start to blur those lines outside of just systems because you've already built the infrastructure of, well, what are people doing and what kind of insights and how do we help guide them through all that? And you've navigated this. And to me, it is a natural next step. The one thing that you, you hit on a little bit that I just want to add to another one to kind of like push to people on this. Because I've seen this where it's like, we're going to use this to improve our business processes, kind of like we're going to use AI to improve our process. And it's like, what is the process? And it's just kind of met with like, ooh, um, I guess we don't really, we were kind of hoping this would help define it for us. And it's like, whoa, you do need to make sure that you've thought through some, and there's still some things we've talked about that you can do outside of that. But really that business process piece, I, I've worked with a number of orgs where we've had to really sit down and go, not that you wait for that, but to say, we're going to have to do the hard work of actually defining what do we want good to look like? Because if we don't have that, I mean, what are we going to guide people to if we haven't defined what that process really is? Yeah, exactly. And I think also in the future, if we think about our, like the goal of wanting to help users do everything, business processes don't exist inside one application. Mm -hmm. And when UserLane first started up, we were inside web applications, right? So we're inside web applications. And the next goal is, okay, well, let's escape from web apps. And, and I, I give UserLane like a personality, right? So imagine, imagine Clippy, imagine the UserLane avatar on your screen. It escapes from the browse environment. Suddenly it lives on your desktop and that's where we are right now. So we can work on any desktop app. In the future, yep. it needs to escape from there into the Desktop real world, you know, to where some, are people in some, yeah. in some terrifying, I don't know, maybe lawnmower man type environment. I don't know. Anyway, we'll go there <laughs> later. But, but uh, <laughs> that would be horrific. But, um, but in any case, it, it's escaping from, it's escaping from its boundaries to help users where they are, where they need help. Yes. Right? But business processes are. don't exist within single applications. They never have. No, they don't. Right? So, no. and so, so the, the ability of, of, userly in any platform really floating off to be, a, floating to, to be off. able to to be able to cover multiple applications and actually follow a process and follow a user through as they're doing something is really the important part it's it's not yep. just hey can you help people book vacation inside their hcm yes but actually what would be super cool is if you understand the full end-to-end -end process can we follow yep. the user from the beginning to the end and can we be there and make sure they do it right and everything yep. is correct versus just help? one yeah. small snippet of it exactly okay. exactly and some of some of that's aspirational some of that's real world already so yeah yeah well i think and, and i think you know, i had a conversation last week um and we were talking about the fact that the tech's ahead of the science so i think the capabilities for a lot of this is there and i think what we hit on from the very beginning is there's a lot of opportunity to define this still and say, well, what do we want it to be? Because it could be a lot of things. So I told you we were going to run out of time. I'm just getting started. And, and yeah, we're well, out like, of we time. We could keep going. We could keep going. <laughs> <laughs> but um, with that, I, I just, I really enjoyed this conversation. And again, really digging into, you know, not only just the analytics of like what is happening, but like, what does that mean? And how do we actually start to quantify not quantitative but just quantify like what do we actually mean with this and it's a mix of that so i'm glad we were able to have this conversation thank you for making the time luke i really enjoyed it for those of you watching uh hopefully this has made you think a little bit differently about this and and again hopefully we're not going lawnmower man but there's a bright <laughs> future i think ahead in terms of how we can actually start to guide and support we keep talking about learning in the flow of work 
here's a legitimate opportunity to actually do that. And I think it's something that every L&D leader should at least be keenly aware of. So thanks for your time, Luke. Brilliant. Thank you very much, Christopher. It was a pleasure. All right. Have a good one, everybody. And we will see you next week.